I Steve? Excuse me? Do I know you? Sure you do. I'm a false god. What? You, you don't look like a god. Oh, yeah. Watch this. Whoa. Pretty good, eh? Wow. Whoa. A 62 vet. You always wanted a 62 vet, didn't you? Steve? I always wanted a 62 vet. Wanna drive me? Cool. Wow, a 62 vet. Steve Cunningham in a 62 vet. Now, if I just had a great looking girl to go with it. Hi, Steve. Nice Corvette. Uh, uh, hi. Let's go for a ride. Um, uh, sure, sure, hop in. Let's go for a ride. Say, uh, you're, you're not a, a... A god? Yeah, I mean, a goddess. Well, <laughs> sort of. Oh. Say, can you... I mean, can I get, like, everything I want from you? <laughs> sort of. What I mean is, can I... I know just what you're thinking. You know, I was thinking... <laughs> Cool car, nice babe. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to win the clearinghouse sweepstakes? Now if I could just win that clearinghouse sweepstakes. Then you'd be happy. Then I'd be happy. Excuse me. Yeah? Are you Stephen M. Cunningham of 722 Toro Circle? Yeah? <laughs> what is it? Did I, like, win the clearinghouse sweepstakes or something? Well, Mr. Cunningham, as a matter of fact, you're the winner of the grand prize in the Under the Sun clearinghouse sweepstakes. There is a god! Sort of. Mr. Steve Cunningham, the winner! And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition of our broadcast. Our host is the executive director of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and uh, his wife, Barbara, joining us again in the studio. And that young man had no idea who was behind all that he was being introduced to. But mm. uh, I was I was wanted a 62. <laughs> you did? Oh, yeah. I fell right in the middle of that one because I lived I, I lived in the era of high-performance vehicles uh-huh. and, and never had one. My dad never trusted me with anything. And rightfully so. I I, I, he gave me a six-cylinder. It was pitiful. It was a four-door sedan. He wouldn't even get me a hard top. I mean, man. Well, it is interesting to uh, watch how our kids interact with all of the temptations that are laid before them. And of course, we've been talking for the last week and a half about the snares that are laid for children as they work through the teenage years. And all of these various temptations are really wooing them away from what is important, what ought to be at the center of their lives. Yeah, in fact, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments have to do with who we set apart as God of our lives. Exodus 20, verse 3 commands us, you shall have no other gods before me. And the next two uh, commandments um, in verse 4 says, you shall not make for yourselves an idol. And then in verse 7, it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that means to take his name to mean nothing. 
And so the first three commandments have to do with who we set apart as Lord of our lives. And as we've illustrated here at the beginning of the broadcast, there are a lot of issues in all of our lives vying for our attention, but certainly with teenagers, there are a lot of false gods today. And Barbara, as we have talked about navigating our children around these traps, we can do a great job on everything we've talked about up until this point, and we can have well-behaved, well-mannered, well-adjusted children who are ready to enter adulthood. But if we let them get snared in the trap of false gods, we've done our work in vain. That's really right, because our goal as Christian parents is to point our kids to Jesus Christ and for them to make on their own the decision that they want to follow him. And so everything that we do in raising our teenagers and in steering them around the traps and through the traps and helping them to see what's out there that they need to avoid needs to be in light of who they're going to ultimately serve. Mm -hmm. So our goal as parents is to point them to Christ and make sure that they don't get snared by any of the others, but especially these. Dennis, in the book, Preparing Today's Adolescent, you and Barbara listed a number of false gods that are particularly alluring to the teenager. Yeah, we listed the top seven, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's probably a longer list than this, but the first one is self, and this has got to be number one. It's it's the disease of of mankind Mm -hmm. from 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 the very start, and It's not that teenagers are alone in their struggle with selfishness. It's just that the nature of adolescence exacerbates the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, At our house this morning, I mean, one of my teens wouldn't even speak to me. And the reason was, I believe, ultimately, is this particular teenager was wanting to be selfish. I tried to help last night with a project that this particular teenager was doing, and she didn't want me helping, and so she shooed me away, and I, uh, I ended up leaving, and she wouldn't speak to me again this morning, and she's feeling right that uh, she was okay in shooing me away. Mm-hmm. And I had I had to kiss her on the cheek and say, are you going to say goodbye to me or not? And there was no response. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to say, come on, say goodbye. And there was this grudging adolescent grunt <laughs> that y- you wish they could speak clearly. But when, when they don't want to be heard clearly, Mm-mm. they have a way of technically fulfilling the command, Mm -hmm. but of internally rebelling. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was taking place there. And it's so easy when you get ready for school in the morning to start the day on a bad note with teenagers, Mm -hmm. because some of them get out of bed, gripey, grouchy, (laughs) and full of self. Mm -hmm. Barbara, teenagers are so confused about who they are Mm -hmm. in, in themselves, what they're all about. It's easy to see where they can become self-absorbed. That doesn't excuse it, but it does help us understand it as parents. Yeah, and I think that the root of that is that they're afraid. They're scared to death that they're going to get rejected uh, by somebody, anybody, anywhere mm-hmm. along the line. And so they do everything they can to protect themselves from being hurt through a possible rejection. So that's why these these uh, traps of false gods are so uh, alluring to our kids because they, they want to be accepted. And so they're much more prone because they haven't figured out who they are and what they can do and what their purpose is in life. Uh, 
at all. And so they're much more prone to falling into these traps of false gods. And another one is popularity that we see so many kids struggle with. They have this insatiable need and desire to be liked by everybody. And uh, to be the most popular kid in school seems to them to be the ultimate Mm -hmm. accomplishment because Mm -hmm. then they think, I'm going to be happy because everybody will like me then. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize that the price to being the most popular kid is often is often a negative price that they have to pay along the way to get to that to that goal. But to them, it looks like that would be the ultimate. <laughs> Proverbs uh, twenty nine twenty five says, "The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted." You know that's a great verse that contrasts this false god of of worshiping men and and what they think of us versus worshiping God and and being concerned about what God thinks of us and that we're pleasing to Him. And an adolescent has to be guided in that direction. He is not going to move in the direction of living a life that's pleasing to Him. That's why I think over and over again the book for this age for um, parents to be teaching teenagers is the book of Proverbs. Mm -hmm. I think we need to be in this book. You need to go through it repeatedly. You need to be digging into it with your teen and talking about a chapter uh, a day, maybe once a week or a couple of times a month. But the issue is get in this book because this book is talking about the, the transference of wisdom from a parent to a child. And that handoff, Bob, has to occur over over a period of time where it's repetitive and it occurs over breakfast Bible studies where the teenager may look like they're half asleep may grunt half the time, may not even act like they like what what's happening, but the bottom line is their soul is like a sponge. And I believe they, they're soaking up the attention, the love, the concern, and the biblical guidance that they get from the book of Proverbs. You know, I always struggled with the fact that Proverbs is so random. It'll go from one subject to the next, from one verse to the next. And I just realized that that's about the attention span of a teenager. <laughs> it's about that of a gnat. <laughs> it may be. That's why it's as random as it is. Solomon knew that one verse may be all you can get to with your teenager. Yeah, today. that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, another false god is success and achievement. Now, guess who they can get this from? Mm-hmm. They see that modeled by mom and dad. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, one of the things that frightens me about our generation of parents is that that we are worshiping at the wrong altar. Mm -hmm. And and Barbara and I spend time frequently, and occasionally one of us will say to the other, well, maybe we just need to sell it all and, (laughs) you know, just strip away all this materialism. And, and, you know, it was interesting. One time I was sitting with Bill Bright in Washington, D.C. at a meeting, and and, uh, we were talking about – you know, what's really plaguing the Christian community today? And, and he, he made the statement to me that he thinks that the cloak of materialism today is, is uh, not being worn lightly by the Christian community, that we're embracing that cloak, mm-hmm. that we are uh, we're worshiping there, and, and we enjoy our things and stuff far too much, and it's keeping our hearts from being wholehearted as we seek to worship and follow Jesus Christ. You know, Barbara, what we have found at our house is that material things provide an alternative for relationships, a much more convenient, more manageable alternative than really connecting with another person. And I've often thought that if uh, if God wanted to bring his church together, he should visit us with another depression. Mm-hmm. And I've thought that, and then I've thought, now I'm not asking for that, Lord. <laughs> yeah. But 
Mm-hmm. That would force us sure. to be dependent on one another mm-hmm. again. Well, I've had the same thought, and I've often wondered if the Lord isn't going to have to do that to get everybody's attention because we're so enamored with what the world has to offer uh, that I, 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 I fear, too, that we're missing what God really has for us. You know, where this has been manifest with our kids is the names of the stores where they refuse to shop and the names of the stores where their clothes must come from. <laughs> we have certain children who, unless it's from one of three particular stores, it's not even worth looking at. And we can show them a, a perfectly fine garment from, from another. From, from Jacques Panay? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they that, don't go for Jacques. That Jacques and Target are not on the list. You tar, know? Tar, Target. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the problem today is is we've got so many of these symbols vying for our attention. I uh, ran across a verse in Psalm 106 that just warns us, and it, it's, a, it's a verse that condemns the nation of Israel because they didn't obey God and turn away from, from their idols. And it says, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. Barbara and I do not want our children to grow up to become materialistic. We talk about that a lot, and and one of the keys to that, if not the key, I believe, is what we model as a lifestyle and whether our lives revolve around things and accumulating um, more stuff and having to have the latest, greatest, fastest, this. Um, It doesn't mean you can't have nice things, but it does mean you have to be clear about that which is most important and, and where you ultimately do worship. You know, this false god of materialism is really tied to what you describe in the book as the god of consumption, uh, our, our insatiable desire for more goods. Uh, but there's a there's a part of success that doesn't really have anything to do with materialism, isn't there, Barbara? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the uh, false god of, of achievement and having to achieve certain goals or certain standards. And that often shows up with teenagers and wanting to be the best at their particular um, skill in athletics, for mm-hmm. instance. That's a big one. Another big one is grades, although that's not as common in our culture today as perhaps it used to be. But there are kids who just feel like they absolutely have to have straight A's all the time or they're dismal failures in life. So there are those two things are the most common, grades and, and sports, that kids feel this incredible drive to have to be perfect and to perform and to achieve or they're not worth anything. Yeah, and again, it comes back to what we're modeling as parents. Um, When those opportunities for promotion come up in our lives, our response to that and how we go through the process of making that decision ultimately will show what we truly value. And I'm thinking of a couple who had an opportunity to move up, make a, 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 well, it's a generous amount of money more, Uh, got a good raise and and a, a pay hike. But the couple decided not to do it because it meant going to a section of the country where they would not be a part of a, of a good, solid church where the scriptures would be taught and where their children could receive good training and where their marriage and family could be strengthened by that church. Now, you never know how much children pick up, but you got to believe at some point those teenagers who watched their parents make that decision – pick up from their parents the importance of the church, of a spiritual life, versus more money and more things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Bob, sometimes it, it happens over, over the smallest of decisions that we make. And early on, Barbara and I decided we would not accept royalties from our books. And uh, 
now that our books are are uh, uh, are selling quite well and 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 several hundred thousand of them get out there at the end of the year when you do income tax uh, there's a lot of royalties that have been given back to family life so that um, the ministry can be expanded and the other day I was showing one of my teenage sons uh, a copy of the amount of money that had been given to our ministry here to expand our, our work and my son looked at me with a twinkle in his eye he said you realize that uh, by giving that away that's my uh, four-wheel drive vehicle, <laughs> my new four-wheel drive vehicle that you just gave away. And, uh-huh. and I said, well, actually, there's there's several four-wheel drive vehicles. <laughs> there are that a couple of them in there. Yeah, yeah. Could, could be given away. And, and we laughed about it. And I didn't give him any sermon, but he's noticing a value system uh-huh. there. And, and he knows that we already live well enough. I mean, it's not that we live a destitute life. Uh, we live far better than we deserve as Americans. But... Um, there's a statement being made in that that our sons and daughters hopefully are catching, and that's that um, we're living our lives for an invisible kingdom, an unshakable kingdom, one that uh, is a, a, an imperishable inheritance that doesn't pass away. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder sometimes if our failure to give in the Christian community is going to be visited on our teenagers as uh, we see a generation who, who grow up who, who don't know how to give financially to to uh, to their church. You know, when I was in high school, my senior year, I was senior class president. I was I wasn't a big shot. Well, okay, I was a big shot around campus. You know, kind of. Bob, our listeners know. <laughs> our listeners know they're in St. Louis. The tail that wagged the dog in, well, in the senior class. I went from uh, from senior class president at Kirkwood High School to being a freshman at the University of Tulsa, and at Kirkwood High. I'd walk down the halls, and all my friends were there, and we'd wave, and we'd talk, and we had a good time. Freshman year at the University of Tulsa, nobody knew who I was. I was I was a lowly freshman and, and unknown at that. And I remember it being the loneliest year of my life. And it was one way in which I had allowed the success and achievement idol to become too important to me. Mm-hmm. And when it was taken away... Uh, I didn't have any sense of purpose and meaning for my life. And it goes back to the parents to protect our teenagers from these idols. Mm -hmm. If we sense they're getting too far out of uh, balance here and need to be brought back into alignment with the Scriptures, we need to take them out for a breakfast, take them out for a date in the the evening, and just say, you know, I think think maybe some of these false gods here are becoming uh, too important. You know, another one we talk about in the book is – Approval from the opposite sex. That's a biggie. Isn't oh, it? man. It's yeah. a powerful one. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you can be winning today and tonight. <laughs> it's that quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you can be losing and your child can be swept away by the romance and the just the desire to have somebody. I mean, everybody in, in their peer group has somebody, it seems, at times. And they feel so alone, like you expressed. And it's kind of like they're they're an outsider at that point. But we have to teach them that there is only one that they should seek to, to, to live to uh, uh, experience his approval, and that's God. Barbara, again, this goes to the whole question inside a teenager. What's my worth? What's my value? Am I desirable? Do others like me? And if you're not getting the attention of the opposite sex, you feel like you're defective. Mm-hmm, you do. And I think that illustrates why it's so important for mom and dad to be giving that approval and that affection and that encouragement at home so that they're not going to school 
desperately lonely, desperately needy, and therefore available for whatever comes along at school to fill that void. Mm-hmm. So we need to not only be pointing them to the Lord, we need to be giving them that, that affection and love and encouragement that's going to give them the strength to withstand that peer pressure. Is this the same whether you're a teenage boy or a teenage girl, do you think? I think it probably is the same, although I think probably girls are more susceptible. I think girls are more susceptible to wanting to get approval from the opposite sex just because they're wired to be more romantically inclined Mm -hmm. and uh, also because they mature faster. Some of these boys just aren't interested until they get to high school because they just haven't matured enough to really care that much about girls in a romantic way. Still kind of duh. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of them are. I would agree. I think girls are more susceptible, and I think it's incumbent on both the the mother and the father to meet the emotional needs that young lady may have. And, And sometimes, Bob, I think it's a threat to dads who watch a, a daughter mature and develop a, a cute figure and she's attractive and all of a sudden hugging her is um, is a little bit of a threat mm-hmm. and a, a man doesn't know what to do with that and I just say to those dads fight that through your daughter needs needs your hugs she needs you to move towards her and give her a, a hug and a kiss and embrace and and keep on loving on her, uh, she needs that from you because if she doesn't get it from you, as Barbara said, she's going to look uh, look for it from the opposite sex. You know, in this pantheon of false deity that we've talked about today, the idol of self, the idol of popularity, success and achievement, approval from the opposite sex, consumption, and you also talk in the book about appearance and entertainment as as false gods that can be lures to mm-hmm. our children. Um, we get a we get a picture of kids who are headed in the wrong direction spiritually. I think we need to give parents some help, uh, not only on how we uh, steer away from false gods, but also how we point our kids toward the one true God. Well, that's what Deuteronomy 6 is commanding us to do. These words which uh, are are on your heart, you shall shall teach them and pass them on to your children. What are those words? Well, it's it's your own personal love for Jesus Christ. And I think as parents, we have to have our own intimate relationship with God that's in process where we're growing to be able to have something to pass on to our children. If we don't, where else are they going to get it? They uh, may or may not get it from their youth group. They're certainly not going to pick it up from their peers. Uh, even their Christian friends, uh, they'll get certainly some pieces of it, but it's 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 upon us, Bob. We're the ones who must carry the mantle of spiritual leadership of our children. And if we're going to stay out of this trap, it means that mom and dad need to own this responsibility together. 